Hello and welcome to the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. I'm BHE Digital Managing Editor Tom Valentino, and today I am joined by Maeve O'Neill, the National Compliance Director for Circa Behavioral Healthcare Solutions. This week at the West Coast Symposium on Addictive Disorders, Maeve's presenting a session titled Wholehearted Journey to Ethics. We're glad to have her join us here. Maeve, welcome to the BHE Podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So you started with Circa fairly recently. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about that organization and uh, the work that you're doing? Yes, thank you. So Circa Behavioral Healthcare has been around in California for a few years now. Devin Wade is our founder and CEO, and I've known of Devin for probably over 10 years. Um, We both worked in the treatment field for many years all across the country. Um, And he started uh, this consulting uh, company and has an amazing group of people based in California, serving many, many treatment organizations there. So when I was looking for my next opportunity, he and I connected and he said, hey, why don't you help us take what we're doing into more states across the country, um, given uh, contacts that I know and, and my dream to build the, the best compliance programs in behavioral health. So he and I have um, been able to, to join together and I'm so excited to join his amazing team and hopefully get more people to follow this amazing framework that uh, he's developed. Okay. So while you're new to this role, clearly I have a lot of experience around compliance and ethics and a lot of these other issues that affect behavioral healthcare organizations. What do you see as being some of the biggest ethical issues related to behavioral health care uh, that you're currently navigating and, and are on your radar at the moment? Oh, it's hard to almost choose, you know, the yeah. top few. I feel like there's so many challenges with so much growth and so much change and uh, from payers to regulators to client presentations, there's just so many things that can certainly be a challenge, which is why I think a place like Circuit can be such a, a gift to treatment organizations who have enough to do every day just to take care of the clients they serve and their families and referral sources, and then run a program, whether it's outpatient or residential or inpatient. So an outsourced compliance team like us can take the compliance stuff off of them. Um, So our goal is to be updated on the latest regulations, any legislative changes, any policy needs, whether it's joint commission or CMS or state licensing and accrediting bodies. So we can kind of be your, your eyes and ears and your brain and kind of do this for you. Obviously, there's always work to do in all of the elements of compliance, but I think the three biggest, if I had to choose three biggest challenges, one is just the staff. Um, We're all tired from COVID. We're all, I think, a bit uh, burned out. Treatment centers have undergone huge amounts of stress over the years with all of this change and growth, and I think people are um, just needing more support um, and resources every day in the work they do. Our teams have high turnover sometimes because of that burnout. People are leaving their jobs. They're not staying long um, because when burnout happens and people leave, then our jobs, people that are still there have twice the job to do. So it just sort of piles onto itself. And then that, I think the third problem is our the cultures in our organization. Sometimes then can become a little toxic, can become a little bit disconnected, and they're no longer a culture of quality, safe, compliant care. They're sort of in survival. So I think those are probably my three biggest concerns that I see from people I work with. So if you're at the executive level and you're assessing the, the well-being of your staff, what are some warning signs 
that you should be aware of that it might be time to reevaluate how you're supporting employee well-being. Obviously, if you've got high staff turnover, that you know that would be a pretty clear red flag. But you could also have issues with folks who are staying within the organization as well. What are you looking for there? Well, I think it's a couple things. You know, the first thing is hopefully don't wait until the warning signs show up, but let's pay attention to what they are. But in compliance, the first goal is to be preventative. So what do we have in in place to prevent all of these issues or ethical problems? Much like you prevent um, a negative outcome with a fire, you do fire drills. So what are you doing to to really look at these issues, I think, um, in a preventative fashion, looking at what is our and say about well-being in our workforce? Is it even, does it exist? Is it part of our um, annual planning? Is it part of our risk assessment that we've done? Is it part of our monthly metrics that we track? You know, I often ask executives, do you track your burnout of your staff? Do you know the turnover rate? Do you measure your culture in some way to know that people are, are having issues? Many of us do staff surveys or staff exit interviews. Well, let's look at what that data is telling us. And are we then making improvements based on that information that we're getting back? Sometimes it's um, in compliance, we call it kind of check the box. You know, we did the survey, we did the interview, we have the data, but what are we doing with it? Maybe not a whole lot. So the more we can just get people to to use all the time they put into these, these activities, let's use data now to look at the themes, look at kind of the trends, and then put in things that can actually address the problems. So if you're being proactive and you're assessing employees, you're, you're checking in with them, you're you're trying to get ahead of potential issues before they become major problems within your organization. You know, what are some things that you can do uh, as an organization to help your employees to develop that individual resilience and, and keep themselves in a, a healthy headspace, so to speak? Yeah. Well, the first thing we can do as organizations, I think, is to just acknowledge it, just to sort of say, we know there's a lot going on. We know there's been turnover. We know we're stressed. Maybe we've had a really high census for a long time or it's particularly acute clientele or regulators coming in or issues or incidents or things happening. Let's just acknowledge it and talk about it. Sometimes we avoid those hard conversations. So let's just talk about it. Let's acknowledge it. Um as leaders in the organizations, we can really be role models by sharing our own stories of, wow, that was a rough week, or that was a tough day, or a really hard meeting, or incident that occurred, and really leading with that authentic, vulnerable, wow, I'm having a hard time, how are you guys doing? And then we can build in, I think, into our daily work kind of check-ins. There's neat apps some organizations are using these days, some people are using um yoga sessions or meditation or mindfulness in meetings, lots of things to kind of integrate into daily work, I think, that can make a big impact as well. Okay. You talk about just the, the nature of ethical boundaries and uh, just the skills that are needed to maintain those boundaries uh, from a staff perspective. Ethics is so critical in our field just because of the fact that the clientele we work with are are prone to being, um, you know, they want to push the boundaries or um, I think sometimes mental health and, and addiction, the behavioral health care, we come to it with our own sometimes backgrounds um, in our families and our schools and our communities without good boundaries. Maybe we um, come from families like myself of addiction 
where I had a certain role in my family that I might kind of repeat in a workplace or in a team that I'm on. So I think self-awareness is number one. What issues or kind of challenges might I bring to this that can get triggered or can get kind of complicated in the work that we do every day? And once I'm aware of that, what am I doing about it? Do I have my own plan of uh, preventing burnout? I burned out about 10 years ago in the field, and I never thought I would burn out. I was one of those, what? Not me. I've got too many credentials and too much experience. And then I did burn out, and it took me completely uh, by surprise. So I think the biggest thing is to know none of us are immune to this. We're all in this together. Need a plan of how I'm going to prevent it. Now for me, it's meditation and yoga and sharing my feelings and asking for help. All those things I wasn't doing so well back then. I think we can do that. And then when you have those processes built into your team meetings, into your organizations, then we can build that trust that we are going to take care of each other and the leadership and the organization is going to support the efforts that we put in place. A lot of great advice here. Is there anything else that you would recommend from an executive perspective uh, in terms of ways that resilience building skills can be integrated into staff members daily work and, and just kind of be making this part of just woven into the fabric of who you are as an organization and how you operate? Yeah, that's really the goal is to just make it part of our normal daily activities. Um, so daily, weekly, monthly metrics, what are we doing? How are we focusing on it? I think the biggest thing for executives is to recognize this doesn't have to cost a lot. It doesn't have to take a lot of resources. I mean, in an ideal world, we'd all have that chief well-being officer or that chief, you know, uh, person that just does this. But that's a maybe not needed. But maybe you have a champion somewhere in the organization who really loves this work. I'm a big believer that this can come out of the compliance function, which may seem odd to some people that compliance is sort of the rules and regs. But I'm a big believer that if we're going to have ethical and compliance staff, we have to have happy and healthy staff who can then be providing quality and safe care. You can't just choose one of those. You can't just be ethical and compliant without that foundation of staff who feel safe, who feel supported and who have the information and resources they need to do the job. So I love bringing it into daily huddles. It's a daily huddle. Maybe it's a gratitude check. Maybe it's just a check in in a weekly meeting. How's everybody doing? Tell us one good thing going on in your life and one tough thing. It can certainly be, I like to, the teams I work with, bring in breathing exercises or chair yoga or just moments of silence or meditations or uh, stories people want to share. So it's those moments of connection, I think, that can really make a difference. It doesn't have to be a whole hour yoga class, but it might be five minutes of doing it as we sit at our desk just to kind of breathe and relax our muscles. So anything you can do to integrate, find the people in your workplace who have these neat things they already do and let them bring that to the workplace. And I think we tend to see it grow from there and it becomes something very natural within the organization. Last thought I wanted to to ask you about, do you think we're doing a better job of recognizing the importance of having a healthy organization and and how that can really help improve uh, treatment outcomes and, you know, making the, building a, a culture of trust within the field to, uh, to be more open and upfront and talking about these issues and, and taking them, you know, head on. I think we're definitely doing better. I see other industries, unfortunately, maybe doing better than we are, though. There's huge movement, obviously, in the healthcare industry. Um, you see a lot of work with 
with doctors and physicians and hospital administration folks really driving some of this, given the stressors they had with COVID, they recognize the, 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 was it, the suicide rate of physicians, you know, skyrocketed their turnover and their burnout rates. They said, oh, we can't provide services. It's so bad. And behavioral health, oftentimes we can make do, and maybe it's not as obvious, but when you look at the numbers, we can kind of own it's just as bad in our field. I'm a big proponent of building in high reliable um, principles in our organizations and other fields like education and the military and um, manufacturing and construction, they're doing high reliability. And I think if we can bring it to our organizations, we can definitely um, make an impact because we really should be the leader in this. I think we should be the ones leading the well-being movement, not sort of the, the last behind because if we think we've already got it under control, but the reality is once we acknowledge it, we have the resources, we have the people who really can do this well it's just a matter of being willing to, I think, acknowledge it and then assess what we need and then put the things in place and then sustain them. It's it's not going to be difficult for us because we have the right people around us to do it. I think that's a good note to wrap up on. Maeve, thank you so much for joining us. I uh, appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. All right. As a reminder, you could subscribe to the BHE podcast on Apple Podcasts and most other podcast listening platforms. All past episodes of our show are also available on our website, behavioral.net. Our thanks once again to Maeve O'Neill for joining us. I'm Tom Valentino, and this has been the Behavioral Healthcare Executive Podcast. Mm-hmm.